Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 25. Still working our way through the Sermon of the Mount, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount. Today's topic is the Golden Rule. Now I'm sure you guys are incredibly tired of hearing this. I'm most certainly tired of saying it, but this is yet another topic that I've heard mistaught. And I'll show you, based on translation, how someone can easily get this information correct. Now, the way I personally study is I take, you know, five or so different translation that vary in translation style, and I compare those five different translations regarding a specific topic, let's say. So today would be the golden rule. I would take, you know, a couple different translations, compare the content, see if the message is different, then I compare that to the original manuscripts and compare that in relationship to scholarly commentary, not only Protestant, but also Catholic, Orthodox Christians, see what all the faiths say, the early church fathers before the church split up, all that. And I, I go through everything with a fine-tooth comb to the best of my ability. So my goal when I'm presenting information is accuracy, accuracy and precision, so I can give you guys a better understanding of God's written word. So let's look at some wording differences and then drive the point home on the content of those verses. Matthew seven twelve in the ESV says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, let's stop here and ask ourselves, just because we wish something, does that make it correct? Does it make it ethical, moral? Does it make it proper, reasonable? What about effective? Is it biblical? Just because you wish something or want something, does that make it biblical? Well, of course not. Now, if everybody was perfect titans of spiritual competency like our Lord, then sure, yes, what we wish would in fact line up with all those things listed. It would be correct, ethical, moral, proper, reasonable, effective, and biblical, etc. However, that is not the case. And there has only been one that was righteous. And his flesh died, and it was resurrected three days later. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the only time we've seen the ESV mistranslate ideas where the KJV is correct. Um, so let's talk about the KJV now, and you'll understand how it's, they're two completely different ideas. Matthew seven twelve in the KJV says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do it even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Well, here we go. Are wishes and wants the same thing as shoulds? No, they aren't. No, they aren't at all. Now, this is not the only time we've seen the ESV get information wrong, right? Remember anger? If you haven't heard the podcast on anger, please go listen to that. The ESV says all anger is a sin. The KJV says anger without a just cause. And so when you're asking yourself which one is correct, you go with, well, what did Jesus do? Did Jesus display anger? Yes, he sure did, to the point of whipping people out of the temple and turning the tables over. Physical means of displaying anger because he doesn't tolerate unrighteousness and he doesn't tolerate disrespect, especially when God's will is disrespected. Now, so let's kind of convert the Matthew 7:12 KJV into more so like a modern language. This is my attempt, all right? In everything that you do or things that you may potentially do in the future that people should do to you, do the very thing that you should do to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now, the key wording differences, again, is between wishes and wants versus shoulds. So here's, this is my opinion. Again, I always share when my opinion 
is, is interjected. I think children do what they want and children do what they wish. And I think true adulthood is doing what you should do, not what you wish and not what you want. So if a, if a, if a person's 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, and they're still like, I'm going to do whatever I want, that's, that's not a good thing. Because, you know, your prefrontal cortex stopped developing around 25 years old. So our brain is fully developed, let's say, scientifically speaking, at 25 years old. So that's really the start of adulthood. Not 21, not 18. It's the start of adulthood. And if you take Adderall medication, it slows down prefrontal cortex development. So anyone who had Adderall as a child your prefrontal cortex probably finished developing past the age of 25. Amphetamines halt prefrontal cortex development. That's scientifically correct. So depending on the person and depending what drugs they've been prescribed, their prefrontal cortex is going to develop at minimum 25 years old and later. So to me, that's when adulthood starts. And right around you know your 30s, 25, 30 years old, you should be focused on like, man, what's the right answer? What's the right answer? What should I do? What should I do? Forget this, what I want. Forget what I wish. Forget all this. Like, Let's get to work. What needs to get done? What about roles? What about responsibilities? What about duty? What about honor? What about respect? What about competency? What about effectiveness? You know, all these things that's like really the cornerstone of what holds you down. Well, not the cornerstone. Christ is a cornerstone. But I should say the things that keep you grounded, let's say, right? It's the adult attributes, the mature adulthood attributes that keep you grounded. Now, the other thing is that the law and the prophet... The law and the prophets are all about doing that very thing that we just talked about, right? Adulthood. That's what the law of liberty is. It's doing what you should do, not what you want or what you wish. That is literally the law of liberty James talks about. So that's what the law and the prophets is. That's what the law and the prophets are, rather. Now, the golden rule, another thing, it's not about being nice. It's not about being nice. That's not what it means at all. The golden rule is an invitation to ethical and biblical reciprocity. If you compare the biblical definition of love, which is to will the good of another, that also matches the law and the prophets. Because that's what Jesus was doing. That's what God was doing the entire time. He was urging us to pursue goodness and righteousness the way he commanded. Doing what we should do is, in fact, to will the good of another biblically. So it's the same thing, right? And we have to remember, every, we have to understand everything must point back to goodness because only God is good. That's Mark ten eighteen, by the way. So let's finish the rest of today's verses. This is where, to me, that's just, we've just talked about translations issues so far. The difficult part is what we're going to cover next. This is the tough stuff. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So when you read that, the first thing I'm saying is like, man, who are the few and how do I avoid being them? Or excuse me, how, who are the few and how can I be one of them? Because I do not want to be the many. I don't want to take the easy way. I want to do what's hard to the best of my ability because I want life. So to me, it's pretty brutal because it tells us only few find life. To me, that's, it's scary. And to me, it, quite frankly, it's also terrifying. And it makes me question, what am I doing wrong and what should I be doing better? Right? What am I, where am I missing the mark? Now, regarding this verse about few and many, let's go over some stats to put things into perspective for us. Okay, so in 2022, there's 8 billion people on the planet. In 2022, there's 2.4 billion people who claim to be Christians. That's 30% of the world's population who claims to be Christian. Now, the reason I use the word claim is due to the fact that just because someone claims to be a Christian doesn't make it so. 
So that's like, you, you can't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and it's, that's just not the way it goes. It's just not. Um, now, to test some ideas regarding what it means to be a Christian in relationship to Scripture, let's look at two different verses side by side to put things in perspective. Okay? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, so that's how we have eternal life, right? Believe in him. Cool, easy enough. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, hold on a second. Two verses talking about believing. One says it's how you get eternal life, and the other one's saying the demons believe. So are demons getting eternal life? Are they going to heaven? The answer is no. The issue, when we put these two verses together, is the English language. It's not the Bible. Okay, so it's the translations of the Bible that makes things confusing, not the actual Bible. So for those of you who don't know that, the actual Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew. Some in Aramaic, but primarily studied in its Greek and Hebrew form. Believing by English definition and believing by Greek definition are two completely different things. Believing from the original Greek New Testament standpoint means to have the trust and conviction in which a person is impelled by, which means urged forward, by the inner and higher prerogative and the law of the soul. Now that's what it means to truly believe from a biblical standpoint. Being a Christian is more, is more really about trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and making a decision to commit your life to him rather than just simply saying you believe, right? And that makes sense because how can you just simply say, I believe, because then anybody can go to heaven, and there's, then the, the path to heaven is wide, right? So we have, to use, we have to use logic and reasoning when we're reading verses. We have to always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean that we're going to attain perfection. What it means is that we reject our sinful nature, we carry our cross, which means to struggle to be more like Christ, and we pursue genuine biblical living to the best of our ability. God wants to see us apply effort and struggle to grow in Him. So when you're reading those two verses about believing, you, what we should really be asking is, all right, what sets us apart? If demons believe and shudder, then really what we should say, what we should be asking is, what sets us apart? If I'm going to call myself a Christian, what sets us apart from the world? And how much effort are we applying to studying the written word of God and to, to turn away from sin? Right? That's what we should be focused on. Now, regarding entering the straight gate, the following information was taken from a scholarly commentary. By the straight gate is meant Christ himself. For he elsewhere calls himself the door in John 10, 7. He is the gate of heaven through which we have boldness to enter into the holiest of all by faith and hope now, as there will be hereafter an abundant entrance into the kingdom and glory of God through his blood and righteousness. Now, regarding the totality of today's verses, the following information was taken from a scholarly commentary. This is everything covered today, not just one specific section. So they, they were saying Christ comes to teach us not only what we are to know and believe, but what we are to do, not only towards God, but towards men, not only towards those of our party and persuasion, but towards men in general, all with whom we have to do. We must do that to our neighbor, which we ourselves acknowledge to be fit and reasonable. We must, in our dealings with men, suppose ourselves in the same case and circumstances with those we have to do with, and act accordingly, of course. There are but two ways, right and wrong, good and evil, the way to heaven, the way to hell. And in either of those ways, there's walking. And there's no middle place there hereafter. 
there's no middle way now. So if you want to test that idea that the commentary is saying, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, there's a middle way. No, there's not. Go read Revelation. Revelation says, I haven't reserved my wrath for those who are hot and cold. I've reserved my wrath for those who are lukewarm. The fence riders, the people are like, eh, yeah, Jesus was a cool dude. Hashtag winning, bro. No, that ain't how it works. And the Lord's not going to come back with a squirt gun and bubbles. Not going to happen, okay? So we need to take this thing seriously if there's an afterlife because it is not cool to end up in, in, in a place of eternal suffering. I mean, anybody who's experienced suffering in life knows that, that life, the suffering within life is enough. Now imagine that forever. Imagine the worst point, point of your life. Just think back and say, okay, what's the worst time I've ever had in my life? Well, I had a bout of depression here. My mom or dad had cancer here. I broke my leg here, ran over my dog here. It's like, okay, now imagine that pain you felt, but just eternal pain because you're separated from God. That's what the pain comes from because our souls truly long to be with God. It's just our flesh gets in the way. Now, regarding there's only one way to walk, you're either walking towards heaven or walking towards hell. Let's play with some more ideas. The path of hell is paved with good intentions. The path to heaven is paved with good works. So that's the difference between kind of like, will. it's hard to word that. What is it? Willful blindness and mature competency? Because really what we should do is we have to I think that I think sincere intentions are kind of like the beginning parts of, of, of faith too. And I'm kind of trying to figure this out. I didn't I don't have this on script, so I'm kind of trying to play this this idea right now as I'm talking through this. Adults focus on outcomes. Children do too, but it's you know, children will get get into things mischievously and they'll have a they're brilliant little critters. And they'll have an excuse, and then you'll hear certain people say, oh, they didn't mean to. It's like, oh, no, they absolutely meant to. Absolutely meant to. They're just telling you they didn't mean to. They're, they're brilliant. But that's not what I'm referring to. It's, you know, trying your best to live a biblical life and just being flat-out ignorant is completely different than having knowledge of the Bible and just straight-up rejecting it. And I've seen that happen. I can't tell you how many times people are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm." I'm a person of faith. And then you're like, okay, well, let's talk about this verse right here. And they're like, that's not what that means. It's like, ha, what about over here? That's not what it means. What about over here? That's not what it means. What about over here? That's not what it means. It's like, oh, really? What about the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts? Let's go back to the original form. What about that? That's not what that means. It's like, huh, okay. I mean, you're just, and there's going to be times, like we did the whole judging others, casting pearls before swine. There's going to be times where you try to share the truth with people and they're just going to straight up reject it. So really, you know, it's, I don't want to say intentions don't matter, but don't just say, just don't think faith is only sincere intentions. Like faith is trust, conviction, action, obedience. And yes, there should be sincere intentions with all of those. But the actual manifestation of our Christian behavior also matters. And that's where that, that cliche comes from. The path to hell is paved with good intentions because you're not really focused on the outcome, right? You're not really focused on what the Bible says. You're kind of just doing your thing. And then... Whereas a true Christian is like, okay, I'm getting ready to make this decision. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And then they use the Bible as the authority of their life rather than their own mind. So a lot of information today. Let's bring it to a close. Number one, the golden rule is about ethical reciprocity regarding the word should, not what we want or wish. It's about what we should do. That's the law of liberty. Number two, the gate that leads to destruction is wide and the way that leads to destruction is easy because sinning is easy. It comes naturally given our fallen nature. I've heard people say, I just want 
a natural relationship, you know, just natural. It's like, well, sin is natural. So no, you don't. You want a biblical relationship, right? You want a biblical relationship. That's what people actually want because sin is natural. So we don't want to do what's natural for us as human beings. It's not the right answer, right? Our teeth naturally fall out when we don't brush them. Is that good? No. So what do we do? We brush them to prevent problems, right? We'll naturally starve to death if we don't eat. So we should, you have to make yourself eat so you don't die. Same with drinking water. You have to go to school to get a degree. There's sacrifices that have to be made. So sin and chaos are natural. Order and discipline are not. And that's why discipline is really the true freedom. Number three, the gate that leads to life is narrow and the way that leads to life is hard because there is but one way to heaven and one way to the Father, which is through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, and the entire Trinity in flesh. That's Colossians 2.9, by the way. All of the deity of the Godhead was in his body, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for anybody to consider that not true, they violate Scripture. Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in flesh. The consciousness was the Father, the Spirit was the Holy Spirit, and the flesh was the Son. He was the Trinity in flesh, Colossians 2.9. Number four, being a Christian is about denying and rejecting our sinful nature. Remember, sin is natural. So we have to carry our cross, which is the struggle to be like Jesus, and apply sincere effort to try and bring honor, glory, and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong by reading the Bible and doing what's in it. Right? So if you want to simplify all this stuff, read the Bible and do it. Read the Bible and do it. Read the Bible and do it. If you want to hear the mind of God, read the Bible. If you want to know the heart of God, read the Bible. If you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.